Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hello, we made it to Friday, everybody. Hope that you're happy, healthy, and safe wherever you are right now. It is a, uh, whew slushy slushy day man at the, the it was like big fluffy snowflakes that would be pretty um perhaps when it's uh, a little bit closer to christmas and uh, i know i look i've lived in chicago my whole life i get it the weather changes it gets severe um but man it was a, a cold day right to the bone and a good day to just want to be under the covers and maybe get up just for some hot soup and a grilled cheese sandwich uh, so that's what I'm, I'm planning on having a hot soup and grilled cheese sandwich when i get home for dinner uh i uh, I'm so grateful for uh, the the evenings that we get to spe- spend together, especially now that we go to seven o'clock. And I uh, want to remind you that if you start having a little bit of a scratchy signal, don't forget you can switch over to wcpt820.com to listen to the show, Heart- heartlandsignal.com. If you're watching on the Facebook Live, you can go to WCPT's Facebook page, and there's always a live stream there when I'm in studio. We tried uh, doing a remote one yesterday, and we'll continue to work on that uh, as we go forward, because I know we've got a great event coming up next Wednesday, December 14th at Taste in Rogers Park. And we'll, it's going to be a Monaco Brewery tasting. So come on out for that. I'll be live broadcasting at 5 o'clock. And uh, we've got a great deal for folks to come out and enjoy an evening to gather and uh, celebrate the holidays and try some great beer. So thank you to our sponsor, Monaco Brewery. And uh, thank you, Kurt Bankstead. Uh, he's got a great little video on his, uh, fa- on his Facebook page. So make sure you're following him there. We also want to thank our friends at Kids Above All for their sponsorship on the show. We had a, a wonderful gathering last night at Tata's Kitchen and Social. It was such a fun show and great to see some listeners. Thank you uh, to Wendy and Michelle for coming out and uh, other folks from the neighborhood. It was a sold out show and we're very excited about that. So we raised a little bit of money for Kids Above All and we'll continue to uh, to have a, a wonderfully uh, beneficial relationship with, uh, with an organization that does so much for kids in the Chicagoland area who have survived trauma. Also want to say hi and thank you to our friend Warren Price from European and U.S. Car Service over by there on uh, Broadway near Irving Park Road, where uh, you can get really uh, the best insight into what you need to do for your car. If you've got a mechanical problem, you need body work. Uh, he's been my car guy for almost a decade. So thank you, Warren. And uh, thank you, everybody, again, uh, for ch- you know ch- checking in on this show and, and, uh, and supporting us. And uh, we love having these conversations. You know, for almost uh, actually over 10 years, I have been... Um, focused a lot. I know we talk about oh, so many things going on nationally and internationally. My focus and um, conversations about Springfield, uh, it's something I've been fascinated with the state politics, uh, even when I was a kid. And uh, 10 years ago, I started going down and advocating for uh, kids who have a disability, families who have an individual with, with physical and intellectual challenges. Now, when I say challenges, by the way, the challenge is that the world is not uh, necessarily equipped for folks who think differently and see things differently and move differently uh, than what the way every 
everything is set up. Okay. Um, and so one of the reasons I went down there is to bring an alarm bell one for parents who are fighting to just survive, to do the best they can for their family member uh, as caregivers, as uh, as breadwinners, as uh, as individuals who are, are really trying to do their best for people that they love. And there's so many things uh, that happen in legislation that have unintended consequences. And I started going down there to point some of those out. And, uh, and I'm grateful for all the legislators that uh, I've worked with over the years. And uh, I want to extend uh, deep heart uh, condolences. Just I'm so sad to hear about the passing of Senator Scott Bennett. He was uh, the senator for Champaign. And... Um, he was a, a Gibson City native, uh, went to Illinois State University and the University of Illinois Champaign Law School. Uh, he was instrumental in so many different pieces of legislation, including the ABLE Act, which provided a fund uh, for families like mine that could uh, put away money the same way people do for, uh, you know, I'm going to start a college fund for my child. Uh, ABLE gave uh, the families uh, an ability to put money away so it could be used um, to, for whatever might come next. And uh, and I know that so many people are heartbroken today to learn of the passing of Senator Scott Bennett. Um, he had two young, he had several young children, and I know that uh, there's just there's just such a, a heavy heart today for so many people uh, who he represented, who he worked for, who he worked with, and it was a, a sudden passing. Um, nobody knows yet, but again, uh, Senator uh, Scott Bennett of the 52nd District, which is a lot of Champaign and uh, Vermilion County. And now here's a statement from uh, from Governor Pritzker. Today, the state of Illinois mourns the loss of a dedicated public servant and devoted father. Senator Scott Bennett was a good man who always operated with the best interests of his constituents in mind. Throughout his time in Springfield, he fiercely advocated for the institutions that shaped his life. From his upbringing in Gibson City, on a Gibson City farm, all the way to the University of Illinois Champaign. Urbana. The entire state is a better place thanks to his service. And that is absolutely true. So my condolences to the friends and family members of uh, Senator Scott Bennett. Uh, There's so many people, you know, we we have arguments about what could be done better in this state. And we often forget that there are people who genuinely are doing the best that they can. They come under fire from their constituents, from people on the other side of the aisle, uh, from their colleagues sometimes, uh, you know, trying to do everything they can to make sure that uh, people's lives are made better by the choices that are made in Springfield. And I know that Scott Bennett was one of those people who was a champion for everyone. And uh, it, it really is. Please consider, uh, you know, for the legislator, get to know your legislator so that you know what they do so that when choices are made there, you understand better where they're coming from. Even having a conversation with somebody, uh, you know, about their background or telling them their, their, telling them your story about why you're so invested uh, in decisions that they make, legislation that they write. Uh, there's just so many things that uh, that are decided um without our knowledge of how or why and the the most you can do or the, you know the most anyone can do i guess is to at least have an understanding and by the way you can watch sometimes on uh uh the there's a live stream if you go to ilga.gov you can watch some of the committee hearings you can watch uh, debates on the floor of the general assembly um and i know that senator bennett was uh, a, a wonderful fighter for the the issues he believed in the uh, legislation that he carried 
and uh, and the work that he did. Let's take a break here. Uh, we're going to check. We're going to see. Actually, I might uh, see if uh, Representative uh, Stephanie Kifwit is available. Uh, I know that she worked with uh, with Senator Bennett, and uh, I would like to get some insight from folks that knew him. More in a moment on Driving It Home with me, Patty Vasquez, live here on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. So what's coming up on today's show? Coming up in just a little bit, we're going to talk to Professor Jill Osto, and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Brittany Grenier. How do I say her name? Uh, I There's so much stuff that people are arguing about on uh, Grenier. I, I, I can't believe the way people are reacting. Uh, Griner? Give me a thumbs up, Griner. Thank you. Uh, the the things that I've read today about how uh, well she better stand for the uh, the national anthem every time she's at a sporting event, or the only time she be, she should be kneeling is when she's on her knees thanking this country for bringing. Oh my gosh! And then uh, the idea that the the ex marine who uh, was also discharged was, was for all kinds of and, uh, I can't with all the experts online with this diplomacy uh, expertise, it is absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. So I want to know a little bit more, uh, the best we can, about these prisoner exchange, uh, you know, the history of it. So uh, Joel, Professor Joel Ostro is going to join us in just a little bit to talk about this. He has an expertise. He's a political science professor with an expertise uh, in Russia. And I know that Joan has talked to, talked to him about Ukraine and everything going on in the world. So we'll check in with him in just a little bit. And we're also going to talk to, uh, we're, going to have a go, we're going to have a little bit later of a second hour. We're going to talk to Grammy-nominated musician. Valerie June on her new children's book called Someone to Love. And then we're going to talk about movies at uh, 630 with Mike Crowley, film critic Mike Crowley from the website. You'll probably probably agree. YPAreviews.com. But this uh, the things that I'm seeing online today about how um, uh, Brittany Griner Griner didn't deserve to be released. uh, If they weren't going to bring back the Marine as though uh, just by the very title of being a Marine uh, deserves the. the uh, being elevated. First of all, if you've read some of it, and I am not an expert, I I am like everybody else who is weighing out on this that is not a uh, diplomacy expert. Uh, from what I understand, first of all, that there was no choice. It was either Brittany or no one. And that's it. Uh, so I want to talk to um, I want to talk to Professor Ostro about uh, when we've done this before, and uh, and whether or not uh, what his thoughts are on th- how this compares to previous uh, exchanges. Uh, what are your thoughts? Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. The number is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. If you want to uh, share your thoughts on that, and Brittany uh, Griner has uh, landed in the United States. She is home. Uh, she arrived today, uh, and this is after ten months of being imprisoned uh, on the, after conviction on drug smuggling charges. And that's the other thing, is that man, people are using drug smuggling. The charges were drug smuggling, uh, and I get it. Our laws do not apply internationally, and and also I think that uh, you know our we have a lot of people in jail for similar charges or have in the past and have not uh, ra- you know have not been ringing the alarm bell the same way. Uh, she did. Uh, she landed today at the U.S. Army's Joint Base in San Antonio, Fort Sam Houston, 
and uh, she'll be getting medical treatment there. And, you know, look, for months that we've been pushing for, at least diplomats have been pushing for the release of Brittany Griner, as well as Paul Whelan, uh, who is a Marine who was uh, was charged with espionage. And so these are different charges. Uh, these are and, and the circumstances are wildly different. Uh, I, I can't help uh, from my point of view, because uh, that's where everyone's coming from, is from their point of view, that the biggest problem people have is that she is a black lesbian woman. But that's uh, that seems that's part of what I think is playing into this. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, Patty, along the lines like what you're talking about with the, the hypocrisy of these Republicans, you know, who are trying to diminish the value of this of this Brittany Griner, you know, they're supposed to be what the party of life or is it just the life that they deem valuable, you know? Yes. Right. And that exactly right. It is. It, <laughs> are you saying her life is not valuable? It's less valuable than what you think of as, as a patriot who was charged with espionage. Yeah. yeah. Well, they still got, they'll wear their flags on their lapel though to show that they're true patriots and that. But, um, and, uh, like, as you said earlier, whatever others too with, Trump didn't get this uh, whaling out. He didn't even care. You know, back in, what, 18, 2019, 2020, he, he never even uttered the name. And, and there was something I believe I heard earlier that one of the talking heads or something said that Putin had mentioned something to him in Helsinki that, you know, about the, some prisoners that he was and Trump didn't even didn't even uh, entertain the idea. Well, yeah, I, I don't remember any. I have I never heard of Paul Whelan until this uh, prisoner exchange uh, conversation began. He's a uh, so he's from Michigan, and uh, by the way, has he's a citizen of four countries: the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and the Irish Republic. Uh, when he was a kid, his parents moved to uh, to Canada. Well, he was born in Canada and moved to Michigan. And he joined the, the Marines in 1994. He joined the Marine Reserves in 1994. Uh, and he, I'm trying to find that because he was charged with larceny and discharge from the Marines. Yeah, it was from what I I was surprised when I heard that. I didn't hear a whole lot about it before either. And, and it sounded like he got what it was it a dishonorable or an undesirable discharge, something like that. And uh, and he he was well he was accused of writing using someone else's social security number writing bad checks and among other things wow yeah <laughs> just saying yeah as just he'd be so proud of him you <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know with Trump too there was like as has been said by others that that he you know released what the 5000 Taliban prisoners that time and Eating and nothing in return for it, then you know, and the, the true master of the art of the deal, right? And then <laughs> plus these five thousand, then they were able to go back onto the battlefield and kill Americans again, you know. And uh, and then he he had uh, planned or whatever the Taliban leader they were talking about going to Camp David in secret that time, and you know where we don't negotiate with terrorists, but in this case. He was going to try something, and then, uh, and then the, the forget about the that Otto Warmberg that time, that hostage that that North Korea had that time, because I think right. he's the guy. He just was going to grab you know off of the wall one of these uh, posters or something, and they and they put him in prison, and he he died. Remember when he came back? You know, he was uh, almost a vegetable when he came off that plane, and he died shortly mm-hmm. after that. 
And that was because his his boy Kim, you know, that they the love letters with, and and um, so he he you know he he ain't got nothing to talk about this guy. And then and if they want to the right, he's want to come back. Oh, what about Afghanistan? Look at Afghanistan. Well, who was it that pulled out the twenty five hundred remaining troops before that? Before he left office, Trump. Right. So and then and then we don't want to talk about. The time that he abandoned those Rangers or Special Forces guys in Niger, you know, and then, then lastly too, that time Afghanistan they had a the Special Forces or special guys that they had abandoned that one outpost or uh, you know or base you know out outpost camp that because uh, then they let a rocket and you know cause after the guys had to bug out so quick that you know there was a lot of. Uh, sensitive uh, equipment and sensitive uh, documents in there that we didn't want, you know, Afghanis or Russians or whoever to get a hold of. So we had to bomb it, <sighs> you know, level it from the guy that's smarter than the generals, right? So anyway, but yeah, it just, it's, a, it's a real trip where these people that, you know, if they don't like it, then you're considered less than, you know, human to these people, you know, but yeah. they go... Yeah, dumping on their Bible though <laughs> at church, you know. <laughs> well, and I'm also now today it was the first time I heard anything about the fact that the Russian arms dealer that we that we traded or exchanged uh, for Brittany Griner uh, was also working with the CIA. So I don't know how much of that. Again, I know as much as every what I'm reading online, and who knows from what source, because it's all like again now we're delving into espionage, and how much are we ever going to know? Yeah, and it might scare us if we did. I think so. I know. No, seriously, here, right? we've seen the enemy, and we say, you know. Yeah. Here, so here, it was a uh, it was a bad conduct discharge from the U.S. Marines in 2008. His uh, rank was reduced to corporal, and he was found guilty of bouncing checks and the attempted theft of ten thousand dollars during a, a tour in Iraq. Wow. So, just oh well. Just, well let me clear off. I'm sure you got others I want to get in too, uh, but I just thought I'd throw in that two cents about the. Yeah. You know, with Trump and that, you know, that their the hero, he kind of isn't too good with the deal. Mm. And he may have cost us a few more extra lives that time by releasing right. the Taliban. So, right. Thanks, Dave. Have a good week and be you, well, Patty. You Thanks. too. Thank you. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Thank you. Let's go to Jim in Chicago. Hi, Jim. What's on your mind, my friend? Hi, Jerry. Dave said it succinctly when he said, Washington Trump. In 2018, even mentioned this man's name. I never heard him mention his name or try to make an effort to get him out of prison in Russia. He doesn't belong to be in prison for 10 years for stealing $10,000. But, you know, real quick, the when I went into the old Russian countries, I was when my wife was alive, we were moving toward Moscow. And we were going through Romania, Lithuania, Poland, uh, uh, you name it. And you'd go, the one thing you would go in all of these cities, you'd go to these Russian prisons, these gulags. And let's say they had a cell that was three feet. If you were six foot tall, they'd put you in a three foot cell, so you'd have to lay down for your entire time there. They actually had one with the pit and the pendulum where they had the man strapped down. It was a big, big, uh, incredible torture, incredible torture. But the Russians have been doing that for. For centuries, my favorite author, Dostoevsky, was in prison for opening his mouth about, you know, they have political prisoners forever. But the professor, I asked him, what do you think about 
exchanges, exchanges was going as this warfare started. You'd actually want your better uh, soldiers back if you can get them. And uh, with this war in Ukraine, there must be people in prison there that need to get out. Uh, I mean, it's a very complicated thing. But uh, oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. But but according to, uh, to Putin, the mad status today, he said that he's willing to deal. So that's helpful because, uh, I mean, nobody belongs to in prison for 10 years and for cashing a bump check in, uh, in, in Russia. <laughs> but the other thing is, you know, in 67 or something, I got caught with a, a wad of marijuana. And it was before, <laughs> it was before, you know, anyway, make a long story short, they put me in jail. I was with these two idiots that got me involved in this thing. Anyway, and on the radio, they're playing a regular song. It's just like a movie. We interrupt this program. We've got, you know, they name my name, and the two idiots actually chill with. So I'm like, I hit the bars like a orangutan. Hey, I need you. <laughs> anyway, make a long story short, I beat, I beat the rap, thank God. But the point is, in Russia, they must smoke marijuana in Russia. So they must have a ton of people uh, sitting in those gulags for smuggling in marijuana. But on a serious note, uh, what would streamline these exchanges where they make some sense? Because nobody belongs in a Russian prison for God knows how long. Anyway, Patty, <laughs> anyway, you have a great weekend, and thanks for taking my Of call. course. Thanks, Jim. Be well. <laughs> you too, dear buddy. Take care. Cheers. Let's take a quick break here, and uh, we'll catch up on traffic and uh, some messages from the station. And we will check in with Professor Joel Ostro when we come back and talk about this very thing on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Don't forget, go to WCPT820.com, and you can listen there anywhere you are. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. You know, sometimes when people meet me in person, they're like, oh my God, you're nothing like I thought you would look like, or it's so great to put the face with the voice and all those kinds of things. And I had that experience last week when I was hanging out at a holiday party hosted by Jonas Pizzito, who was wonderful enough to invite me to this lovely party. And I got to meet Professor Joel Ostro. Hello, Professor. How are you doing today? Am I saying your name, your last name correctly? You are, and you've got it wrong. I got to meet you. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Let's not do this game. <laughs> of course, a regular on Jones, Jonas Mazzito's show, an expert in political science in particular. Would you say, I mean, would you say in particular when it comes to Russian relations, what's going on in Ukraine? What do you say Russian is your... politics, yeah, that's nice. Russian politics. Russian yeah. politics. So, man, you have been busy for the last uh, two couple of years. I would say since, I, I, I'm guessing your whole career, but um, I remember yeah. uh, people freaking out during Obama's administration about Putin and what looked like some of the moves he was making. And then, uh, I mean, Hillary Clinton in the debate said, look out for Russia. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, to be fair, Sarah Palin did say she could see Russia from her front porch. So she was also, I don't know what she saw. <laughs> let's, let's not talk about her. Yes, yes. Well, it's just all the all the things that, uh, you know, if you put it in perspective and you start thinking about it, it helps a little bit with framing. Yeah. So let's start, I think, first, before we talk about Brittany Green, uh, Greener, right? Greiner. 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 Brittany Greiner. Uh, first of all, can you give us a little bit of the history of these prisoner exchanges between the United States and Russia specifically? Well, there were... 
fairly frequent, well, infrequent, they were infrequent during the Cold War uh, uh, with the U.S. and the Soviet Union um, when we were um, overt enemies and, and uh, conducting third-party operations around the world, uh, and, and but most particularly in Europe. And uh, we both had spies in each other's allies and sometimes in each other's countries, and sometimes those spies would get captured, and, and there would be periodic exchanges. So we'd get our spies back, and they'd get their spies back. Uh, those are the most notorious, and you know, read about those in any kinds of spy novels, um, some of which are, are pretty good. There's a great podcast called uh, Intelligence Matters where uh, they had an episode recently uh, talking about just that. Uh, what were the uh, what are the best spy movies, spy novels? Um, and uh, so if you read a Lake Carré, you can get a, a pretty good flavor of that. Uh, but since the end of the Cold War, uh, really pretty rare. Um, I can't, I, for the life of me, other than you know, the one earlier this year, um, which is part of this whole grouping of, of Americans being held in Russia, I'm, I'm not aware of any, I can't remember the last time this happened uh, prior to, to 2022. I'm, you know, I'm trying to find out how many, do we know how many others are being detained in, in addition to Paul Whelan? One article comes up, it says two others being held. Uh, there's uh, someone named uh, hold on a second, Mark Fogel, a history teacher Mark from Pittsburgh. Fogel, yeah, mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, uh, and it's 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 a little. His situation is a little murkier than that of uh, Mr. Whalen's, uh, and I believe the other uh, was someone who had been in Ukraine, uh, but I could be mistaken about that. Yeah, and so that that arrest was also marijuana related. He had a small amount of medical marijuana that he used for chronic back pain, and he's been sentenced yeah. to fourteen years at a labor camp. Yeah, and uh, and the fe- and he's been there a long time. So I guess that uh, we have not designated Fogel as a as wrongfully detained. There's a woman named Sarah Kravanik, uh who moved to Russia from California to teach at a Russian private school. And she was involved in a domestic violence situation. Allegedly, she grabbed a knife to defend herself and nicking him. So these are a few of the the folks that are also detained. But the one that people are screaming about is the one that they can say, well, he was a Marine and no one cares about him. How much do you know about Paul Whelan and the the espionage charges uh, surrounding his case? I don't know who says or why they would say he's a Marine and no one cares about him. Uh, we should care about our, our men and women who, who uh, serve our country, um, all of them. Uh, now, Paul Whelan, back in 2008, was in the Marines. He was serving, I believe, in Iraq, um, and he uh, um, committed some petty crime and uh, was discharged. It wasn't a dishonorable discharge, but... Um, Bad conduct. Uh, he was discharged from bad conduct, right, uh, for for apparently petty theft. So that was 2008. Um, and then he got involved in business. Uh, I think he had already known Russia and he had some contacts. He was, he was doing some either consulting or business work. And, and he was on a trip in Moscow 10 years later after his service, so 2018. Uh, and by all accounts, he was set up, uh, given a flash drive, which is kind of on 2018, um, that uh, from a, from a contact that he thought contained photographs, family photographs of this person, and, and he was clearly set up and immediately arrested um, and charged with espionage, which is patently absurd. Uh, after that discharge, there is no service uh, either in the intelligence community or in the defense community or indeed even the State Department that it would have hired him uh, as as an agent. 
uh, and um, uh, typically when spies are held, we don't know their names. The fact that the, even the American government is quite public about him with his name, we know that he uh, had no engagement in, in espionage. Um, so uh, clearly arrested uh, on trumped-up charges, um, uh, a political prisoner, uh, more than four years, been serving in hard labor, um, has some medical conditions, uh, questionable inconsistent access to medicine or health care. Um, it's just a travesty that, that he is still being held um, and, and makes this whole situation of, of releasing Victor Boot in exchange one-on-one for Brittany Griner um, somewhat controversial, certainly in the, in the intelligence community and in, in, in the diplomatic community. There's, there's some, it's an uncomfortable exchange and certainly in the Justice Department community. Can you can you think of another time, another exchange that we could even compare this to? Because I'm I'm failing to do so. Well, there was an exchange earlier in the year, and the the uh, gentleman's name escaping. Was it Lake? Something like that. Uh, that was a one for one. Uh, there was a, a Russian who committed some crime in the U.S. who was exchanged one for one for him. We tried to get Paul Whelan out then, uh, and and we're un- we were unsuccessful. Um, Putin claims that Victor Boot was wrongfully detained, uh, which is absurd, um, but, and claims that Paul Whelan is, is a spy, which is equally absurd. Uh, but, you know, so the claim is he wouldn't release Paul Whelan uh, in this exchange because he's guilty of espionage, and, and, and um, but it just doesn't make sense. Uh, and this is a high-value prisoner to Putin that, that we just released um, in, a, in a military and, and, and clandestine sense. Um, I don't know if you're aware, your listenership's aware. Um, Putin has been uh, in, uh, incarcerated, I believe, for nine years. He was sentenced to 20 years. But there was a 15-year manhunt for him uh, before he was arrested. Uh, so he was one of the most wanted individuals uh, by the United States government uh, for more than a decade before he was arrested. Um, and uh, um, it, that's what makes this this one for one situation uh, to many uncomfortable. Yeah. For folks who uh, are, you know, are curious, I mean, there's obviously information out there and articles uh, from the AP. He was prepared to provide he was he was nabbed by uh, the Drug Enforcement Administration informants who were posing yeah. uh, with as officials from the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. He was prepared to provide right. them with 20 million dollars worth of a breathtaking arsenal of weapons, including hundreds of surface to air missiles, machine guns, sniper yeah. rifles, 10 million rounds of ammunition and five tons of yeah. plastic. Classic explosives. Yeah. That was in Colombia, but before that, he had provided uh, similar types of, of arms to Al Qaeda, to um, to Al Shabaab, and, and uh, other entities around the world that specifically target uh, American interests and Americans themselves. Um, we don't even know how many hundreds of Americans died at the hands of weapons provided by Victor Boot around the world, uh, really on every continent. Uh, so this is a, a, a serious. Uh, international uh, arms trader, criminal trader, 
Um, and uh, it's not clear that he had any direct ties to Putin, but clearly had ties to the intelligence services and the military uh, contacts in Russia who were eager to have him now because clearly uh, he could uh, potentially play some role, if not directly in Ukraine. Russia doesn't have difficulty getting weapons to Ukraine, as we've seen, uh, but to cause problems uh, for America and its allies, that, that's the real threat. And um, let's hope that we have uh, close monitoring on, on his movements. Uh, because uh, it would be awful if he gets out and starts uh, causing harm to us again. Okay, so this is where uh, this is all speculation and only informed by, uh, you know, the Bourne Identity movies. I don't know. Is it possible? (laughs) Right. But I mean, you know, is there a way for them to, again, this is all speculative. I don't know the level of how much movies and fiction reflect real life. Could they have put a tracking device on him? Could there be something something that happened while he was in prison? And really, the Russians wouldn't necessarily be ready to like be you know hey welcome back get back to work kind of a thing right oh i would imagine that he's going to go back to work pretty quickly okay uh and uh, all of the uh former intelligence uh experts who i've i've listened to and and, and read in the last 24 hours uh figure he'll spend maybe a week with his family and get back to work wow um but yeah. but yeah. they'll be but they'll be monitoring him. I mean, and the world has changed over the last ten years. But I, I, presumably, that his skill set's very specific. Is he was he mostly a you know for for Mother Russia or was he for money? Yes, or both. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, both. Yes, yeah, both. Uh, money. I mean, folks like that. Uh, the, the big problem is he is incredibly skilled at what he did. Um, his uh, his. Expertise, his, his prime expertise, and and the thing that made him so valuable to uh, Russia's uh, military and intelligence community was his uh, deafness in avoiding and and skirting and getting around sanctions. So in today's world, uh, you know our our ability to monitor him is significantly reduced uh, because of uh, the fractured relationship we have with Russia. You know, the paradox is the more you need. Uh, intelligence uh, efforts in the country, uh, you, know, you need them more when your ability to have them drops, right? Uh, so our relationship with Russia right now is about as low as it's ever been, uh, and that makes it very, very difficult for us to, um, you know, to know what's going on there with any particular individual, particularly someone who is highly valued by uh, in the dictatorial regimes. Um, this is very worrisome. And then, um, you know, it's not like we were trying to get someone of equal strategic value, if you will, right. uh, in return for him. We were trying to get a basketball player uh, and uh, <laughs> just a guy, really. Um, a, pretty, a pretty unsuccessful guy with a speckled history who really has no value to the U.S. government other than there's no reason for this guy to be held in the conditions he's held. And and we, um, it is encouraging to hear the focus of the Biden administration on Paul Whelan, which has been pretty consistent. It's something that certainly the Trump administration uh, was not. Nobody in the Trump administration was. And the hope was when uh, Biden became president, that, that the focus would be on getting him and Mark Fogel out. Uh, you know, Mark Fogel's crime was 
slightly more than Brittany Griner's. Maybe he had twice the amount of THC on him that she did. Uh, he certainly had more of a clear medical uh, reason to have it, uh, although he, he self-acknowledges that you know, he tried to smuggle it and, and do it on the sly, and he got caught. So clearly he committed a crime. And as I said from the beginning, Brittany Griner's punishment her, uh, fits, the, fits the crime under Russian law. Many, many Russians uh, have faced the same punishment that she did. Um, the outrage in the United States sort of boggled me uh, about her arrest. I mean, it would be, it seemed cruel and unusual to us because it's cruel and unusual to us now. It wasn't a few years ago. Punishment for small levels of pot. Uh, but uh, to be honest, uh, the person who put it best was on with Wolf Blitzer last night, Charles Barkley, when he said, you know, there's plenty of athletes who, uh, American athletes who uh, compete in other countries. And, and as he put it, men and women and, and all across Europe and Africa, Latin America, Asia, when you go to another country, you don't get to screw up. And if you do screw up, you're going to face penalties if you get caught. Um, and and the circumstance, depending on where you are, could be a lot worse than it would be here. Um, anyone who uh, who knows anything about uh, even the liberalization of laws around marijuana knows that while it's legal in Illinois and it might be legal in another state, you can't bring it from Illinois to another state. You can't legally travel with marijuana from Illinois to Wisconsin. If you get caught, you can face penalties. Right. Going abroad with it is just inexcusable, right? So, okay, she committed a crime. She got caught. She was punished according to Russia's laws. Nothing there is odd, okay? In normal circumstances with a normal country, there would then be some kind of extradition. But Russia's not a normal country. So whoever her agent was who suggested that this year that she go to compete in Russia, I would hope that no professional athlete would hire that agent again. If the agent recommended it, if the agent didn't strongly recommend she not go, that agent should not be working in professional sports or entertainment again. That was something I was going to ask you is, you know, the, the with the climate as it is internationally, in particular with our relations with Russia, going there seems and I and some folks have argued that, look, if that was the opportunity that she had, uh, you know, women uh, professional athletes do not make as much as men. They're always trying to find different ways in order to support themselves and their families. Uh, you take the, right. I know. I, I Hey, look, Gonzalez there, the one from, you know, Parkland. Uh, from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School after the Parkland shooting. I called BS. I had plenty of opportunities to play all over Europe. Maybe it was a little bit more money or something, but I called BS on that for exactly the reason you said. You, you got to be something of an idiot to go there right now if you're an American. And she's not just an American. She's African-American. And she's not just African-American. She's an African-American female. She's not just an African-American female. She's a lesbian African-American female. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not a smart move. Right. No, and I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing at all. Go, yes. I don't want to bury the lead. It is wonderful that she's back. The conditions that she was being held in were brutal, um, inhumane. 
She needed to be back. I'm delighted that she's back. I'm delighted that she'll be back with her family. I'm delighted that she's healthy. All of us should be. And, and praise to the Biden administration for getting her out. And my hope is that this isn't the end of it, that they have some plan for getting Paul Whelan out. But the problem is, is we don't have any more high-value Russian prisoners. Uh, Putin was asking for this assassin who's being held in Germany in exchange for Whelan. You might remember a few years ago, out of the blue in broad daylight, uh, a Chechen was murdered. I believe it was in Munich on a park bench. Um, Germany caught the guy. Uh, he is being held by Germany. We don't have any control over this guy. The administration asked Germany and the German government properly, you know, laughed at us uh, because no, this guy committed murder in broad daylight. That's common in America, but we're uncommon that way. It's not common in, in other countries. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a serious crime in Germany, and that guy's being held, and they ain't letting them out. I have to imagine there are people who are from Russia who are being detained, but Russia doesn't care because they're not invaluable to them, as opposed to a high-profile WNBA player. And and my question about her uh, her imprisonment, she would she be more vulnerable and in more danger because she was she is a black lesbian woman in jail. You mean more danger in danger in a Russian prison? You mean or in a Russian prison? Yes. Yeah. Then then the other then the other people who are being held, Paul Whelan and the other folks, uh, Mark Fogel and uh, the and Sarah. These other prisoners that are there. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I, look, nobody wants to be in a, a Russian hard labor camp, okay? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's horrible for anybody. The conditions are, are barely livable and often not livable. People die in those camps. Um, you know, it's still... It still runs like the gulag. Right. Uh, so, but anything can be. Now, she's also, what, six foot ten and a professional athlete. So, my guess is not, nobody was about to mess with her. Right? So, that, that, she had that going for her. But the, but the guards, certainly, that would be a danger. Let me ask you this one question before we go. And I, we're, By the way, we're going to have the professor in studio with us on December 19th, if that works for your schedule. Uh, and we'll figure it out. But we're looking forward to having you in studio and have a, an even a longer conversation. But before we go, uh, how, I mean, like, how does this affect, what, I mean, I know the president has said they're going to try to, to reclaim the other prisoners uh, that are being held in, in Russia. But as you just mentioned, we don't have any other high-profile prisoners. So what would yeah. that even look like? Is there any forward here from here? Well, given what the United States government just did, and, and you can it's, you can tell that I'm uh, I have a lot of praise for the Biden. I have nothing but praise for the Biden administration's handling of the relationship with Russia, even before the invasion of Ukraine. It, it has been a masterstroke of, of foreign policy success. Uh, building this coalition, imposing these uh, historically stringent sanctions, um, sustaining those sanctions, uh, and helping Ukraine uh, to fend off Russia's um, attacks, its invasion, its attempt to eliminate Ukraine as a sovereign state. The Biden administration uh, is 
I don't even have words. I, 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 I lose my ability to speak uh, in in uh, uh, describing uh, in, in praiseworthy enough praiseworthy fashion how great this administration has handled this whole situation with Russia, and so that's where my hope comes. I am skeptical about this exchange of Victor Boot for Brittany Griner one for one without getting the other Americans out. Mm-hmm. But I have to trust that soon we will have some very good uh, Russian uh, assets in custody. So oh. that is my hope. Oh, interesting. Whether All with right. the help of our Ukrainian partners or with our own intelligence community. But that is going to have to be... Uh, that's going to have to be how it goes. I, I don't see another way. Okay. Uh, and it won't be it won't be assets. It'll have to be assets plural. Excellent. Well, good to hear. And I look, look forward to more of your insight when you're in with us on uh, December 19th. Hopefully, We're, we've been talking to Professor Joel Ostro from Benedictine Benedictine University. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I want to make sure I get everything right. It's a Friday. Everything's <laughs> a little bit murky right now in my head. I'm like, where where does everything go? Thank you for jumping on last. Nothing matters. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for uh, jumping on with a last minute request. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, my best to Helena. And it was great meeting you both thank last you, week. Thank, thank you so much. The pleasure was ours. And look forward to talking to you again. Outstanding. Is there anywhere you want people to follow you on Twitter, on Instagram? What do you got? I'm not on Twitter, but uh, I got a public profile on Facebook. So, yeah, I'm 57, so I'm still on Facebook. <laughs> Same way. Thanks, <laughs> Professor. Have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Be safe. You too. Take care. Hey, you too. Thank Bye. you. Let's take a quick break here and then check up on the news and traffic and everything you need to know. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Excited to introduce you to our next guest. Valerie June is a Grammy nominated performer and she has a new book called Hold on, let me find the she Oh, the beautiful cover Fade into You is part of this. Hey Valerie, how are you doing today? I'm just trying to we're having a little bit of uh there we go. A little bit of technical stuff going on right now. But uh, we are talking to Grammy nominated musician and author Valerie June who has a new book, a new children's book out. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Patty? I'm doing very well. Are you in Tennessee right now? No, I'm traveling right now. So oh. I'm calling you from the road. Where Where are you on the road? It sounds It sounds wonderful to be on the road right now. <laughs> oh yeah, back and forth between the south and the north is my usual path. I love that. And you're in Chicago. We are in Chicago. Hopefully, you're not somewhere uh, where there's a lot of snow. We're getting a little bit of slush here, but that's about it. Well, I can't believe it. I just can't believe. No, I'm joking. <laughs> this time of year, yeah, I know. I know. Look, I've lived here my whole life, and I still get to be surprised by it. Wow, it's amazing. I love the snow, and I'm hoping I get to experience some this year. Maybe I'll have to go to Iceland in order to experience it. You never know. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, so, what, congratulations on a, on your new book. Uh, you know, it, it is something when people get in their minds, they want to write a book. But you're an artist. You're inspired by so many different things. Tell us a little, a little bit about your new book, Somebody to Love. Well, the book is a children's book, and it's called Somebody to Love, the story of Valerie June's 
sweet little baby banjolele. And the reason it's called that is because I got this instrument that is called a banjolele or a banjo uke, and it's a mixture of a ukulele and a banjo. And um, you play it a lot like a ukulele, except it's super loud because it has the banjo drum head. And I wanted to find a way to tell the story of the courage and the bravery that it takes to be a dreamer and to have a dream and to persevere and to make it happen and things stay in focus and things like that. And so I felt like um, this is kind of my version of the little engine that could. <laughs> Children's story. <laughs> I love that. So, so because, you know, the creative process is different for everybody and you work across several mediums. Have you written a book before for children? Not for children. I've performed a lot for children in different libraries and schools throughout the years when I was, before I was a signed artist. And um, once I got signed to my first record deal, the last decade of my life has just been focused on all of my songs and my records and touring and traveling the world and collaborating with artists. Um, people like your, your very own Mavis Staples. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been pretty busy, you know. And what beautiful artwork on this book, by the way. It's just, it's visually just wonderful to look at. Uh, tell us a little bit about the artist uh, and the illustrations from this book. Well, Marcella Avalar is one of my besties, a very close friend, and she is a Mexican-American artist. Um, she works mostly with graphics and doing designs for products and things. So, And she also does her own drawings and paintings and fashion. And so a children's book was very new to her. But when I got the illustrations back from her, I was like, yeah, you are made to do this. Her, her view of color and everything, it just comes to life in the book. And that feels the story more than my story. <laughs> It, well, it, it really have you have to have that sort of uh, that that almost choreography between a writer and the the artist, don't you? The visual artist. Was it mostly done virtually, or were you able to sit down with her and and sort of work through it all? What was the process like for you two? It was mostly done virtually. Um, over the course of the last three or four years, I wrote it as I was traveling and performing in different cities. And I just, I didn't sit down in one piece to write it. I just wrote it as it came. And it's also a story that I've been telling at my performances before I played the song, Someone to Love, Somebody to Love. And so um, whenever I would tell the story, it's very different than writing it out. So that took a while. And then I sent her the the manuscript and she was moved by it so during the pandemic when everyone was at home on lockdown that's what she did she did the artwork and she sent it to me and i was blown away i'm telling you i was very surprised too because i sent the manuscript to her and it was very relaxed you know no real plan of when we were putting anything out or doing anything we just wanted to work on something together and, and what a beautiful mission, too, which is to touch children and to inspire them. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, is this something like as a child that you wish you had had somebody or did you have someone that encouraged you to follow your dreams and listen to your, your inner voice? 
Yes, my parents are very big dreamers, and they were great inspirations. And they also um, took us to Memphis a lot because the small town I'm from is called Humboldt and Jackson, Tennessee area. So Memphis is only about an hour and a half from there. And so Martin Luther King Jr. Day every year, my whole family would go down to the National Civil Rights Museum, and we learned about the dream of Dr. King. And how important having a dream for yourself is, like if you want to paint, draw, be a doctor, what are you what you want to do, but also it's important to have dreams that are for the world and that are collective, that make the world kinder and sweeter and more empathetic and more compassionate to others. And um, so my parents really influenced me. And when I started to work with Michelle Obama's um, turnaround arts that she started when they were in the president's uh, presidency, then that's when it really came to life to me that I wanted to write the book for children because Turnaround Arts is now at Kennedy Center, but what we were doing is actors and writers and musicians were um, connected with schools throughout the state, and you would go into the school and you would share your craft, and in my case, I'd play somebody to love in the banjoele, and then you would talk about what you do with students from all different grades. And so the director, she said, you know, you need to make that in a kid's book. And I was like, you know, I want to, but I'm so busy. And so it took time, like most dreams do. Um, But the book came to life, and finally I was able to hold it on November 1st when um, Third Man Records published it. So it's been such a journey, even just to make the book. I would imagine. I, I would imagine. And, and have, what what has been the response? Have you had a, an opportunity to hear from families or from kids when they get this book, or or some of the live appearances that you've been able to uh, to encounter, folks? Oh, the response has been amazing. Some of the best responses when I go into the schools, from private schools to public schools, and I read the book in the library or cafeteria for 300 to 150 students in their first grade all the way up to third grade, and they all tell me what their dreams are, and they all learn about the instruments. They take the banjo, the ukulele, and um, the banjo-ele and guitar and introduce them to those instruments and and get them to strum a little bit and have a kindred nature with um, my instruments. And people are like, I can't believe you let them use your your instruments that you use on the road. I'm like, oh, it'll be okay. <laughs> it'll be fine. It's just giving the instrument more love. <laughs> I, right. It adds energy, right? It's about, because then you'll, you think about that. It, it also moves you. I love this. I, and what a, a great book for folks to get for their kids at Christmas time, because, you know, one of the, we always try to go with something, you know, something they want, uh, whether it's something to play with. We also go with something to wear and we always have something to read for the, for my boys when we've uh, shopped for them for Christmas. So this is a great idea for, to wrap it up and put it on the Christmas tree, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. And you could throw in a ukulele or a banjolele if you wanted to, too. I'm fascinated by this banjolele. I'm sure I've seen one, just didn't know what it was. Well, they are so cute. When you see one, and and the next time you see one, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, now I know why she calls it the baby. They're the baby. They call it the baby because it's so cute and tiny. (laughs) When did you start playing musical instruments? How old were you? I was in my early 20s. What? So I didn't start playing so late in life. Yeah. And that's why, like, the book is not just for children. It's for adults who like to read kids' books like me. I love Amanda Gorman. 
children's book and so many others. <laughs> They're all so great. But um, whenever you have an instrument, so it might be a guitar in the corner, and you tell yourself, one day I'm going to learn how to play it, or a piano. I'm going to learn how to do that one day. But then years and years go by, finally you learn how to do it. That's what this book is covering, and it's inspiring to people who any age, it's inspiring to say, hey, just do two minutes a day on the guitar or the piano. For you, it's not like you're trying to be on the cover of Rolling Stone or anything. Do it for you because you love making music and you love the sound of music and you want to learn something new. Plus, it's good for our brains as we get older, too. So, I mean, nothing is impossible is the thing, thing to remember. so true. Right? Got to remember. Got to remember. That's why I was surprised when you said you were in your 20s, because I always think of people starting, you know, like, like my son Griffin started playing piano and guitar when he was like five. And he does. I love, I went to visit him at college. And while we were there, you know, just checking out his room and talking about his plans uh, for the next week or so, he sat down and started playing a song for me and my husband. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> what? It. I yeah. love it. And you're like, I'm so glad you started playing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really and so he does that. I mean, he uh, I, I love that. And I look, I tried playing when I was in my twenties, and I, I I'll, I'll be honest with you, Valerie, I couldn't get past the calluses on my finger. I just couldn't get past it. I, I just, <laughs> you got to work through the calluses, right? I'm looking at mine right now. They are inventions. They're going to be there forever. Yeah, you got to work through that, but it's worth it to me. And, um, you know, I get a little jealous of people like your son who's starting earlier, but I did start singing from birth. First, I've been singing ever since I came out. They spanked me on the bottom and I started. See, that's something I'm jealous of. People think because of my voice that I must have a great singing voice. I do not. Uh, Mostly because I can't I can't hear music. I mean, I love music. I don't know music. I don't know when to jump in. I don't know. I tried when I try karaoke doesn't work, but it doesn't mean I don't I don't keep trying. The shower is my uh, definitely my stage, uh, which no one is invited to. (laughs) And my car. I love it. Yeah. And the car. That's a really good one. I love the car. I love the car. And as a songwriter, tell and tell us a little bit about your, your last album, uh, Pushing on a Stone. Is that the, the last album you have? Well, the latest one, it came out in August, and it's called Undercover. And believe it or not, you're going to be so shocked because I don't usually do covers, but I did a whole record of covers with my band. Okay. And it's, it's so cool because people are falling in love with my music who listen to stuff like Mazzy Star, and we cover Fade Into You, or they listen to, you know, some, some of the classic soul songs like um, Don't It Make You Want to Go Home and things like that, and they just never would have listened to my music, but then they love those artists, and they fall in love with that, and they get introduced to my music. So it's so cool. I love having this um, covers record. And as of today, I have a single that just came out that you can listen to on Spotify or Amazon or whatever, um, YouTube, whatever you like to listen to with Nora Jones. And so we have a single out today. That is wonderful. And let me make sure people know where to pick up the book first. So somebodytolovebook.com is where you can pick up the book, somebodytolove.com. And what's the best place for folks to go find everything that you do? What website do you use? 
I use ValerieJune.com and everything's on there. So yeah, and you'll know when I'm having tour dates in the area and all of that, all of that as well. So yeah, I uh, it's such a great. I mean, I've, I've learned so much. I want to have you back because there's so much. I want to read all of your stuff. This uh, your your first poetry book, Maps for the Modern World, which was a an Amazon bestseller, uh, and it, that's fantastic. Congratulations on all of this. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you did this all these covers when you were growing up. Uh, who were some of your inspirations? Who because it looks like you have a wide range of uh, of sensibilities when it comes to music. What are some of the what were some of the, the the musicians that you turned to when you were younger? Wow, there were so many musicians in so many genres. It'd be anything from like Pink Floyd to As of Last Night. I sang on stage with one of my very young young idols, where I studied her voice and every lyric. It was Natalie Merchant, and we. I met her, and we were on this benefit performance together, and she said to me, would you like to sing with me on a couple of my songs? Oh. And I knew every single lyric because I was 14, <laughs> and I learned every lyric. So it all came back to me, and I did it. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. How fun is that? I also want to make sure folks know when they purchase the book, Somebody to Love, you can go to somebodytolovebook.com. You're also uh, dedicating a portion of the proceeds for children's literacy and arts education, right? So tell us a little bit about that as well. Well, I have two homes, one in New York, so Read New York, one of the um, company or the organization's charities that we're donating to. And then in Tennessee, there's Literacy Mid-South, which is based out of Memphis. And it doesn't just um, support children's literacy, but also adults, which is super important to me as well, because there are some folks who need to learn and still learn. And like I was saying about the instruments, it's never too late. So um, 10% of the sales for the special edition, which is amazing because third man records, I don't know if you know Jack White's music of the White Stripes, but he has the publishing company. And so third man books, published the book and in the back of the special edition you'll see a tiny vinyl record with the song somebody to love and um on the other side is a traditional american folk song called um the crawdad song so 10 percent of all the sales of those go to those two charities and um i'm just so excited to have that part but also that whole side of Finding publishers and looking for the right publishing home, it's always magical how it happened. Because we, Marcella and I, we wanted to have a vinyl in the back of the book, but many publishers don't print vinyl. So to meet Jack and to work with his company, it was perfect. (laughs) You have the best energy. I needed a little energy boost going into the weekend, and you've definitely brought that to everyone listening. Uh, again, we've been talking to Valerie June. Her book, Somebody to Love, the story of Valerie June's sweet little baby banjalee, is available at somebodytolovebook.com. And uh, you can go to her website, uh, valeriejune.com. And uh, Valerie, first of all, anytime you're in Chicago, please let us know. We'd love to have you in studio. I'd also love to invite you back whenever you'd like to join us and update us on your schedule, on uh, songs that you're working on, or books, whatever you'd like to talk about. Uh, we would love to have you back. Yeah. I love love talking with you. It's so easy to talk with you tonight. So Aww. thanks for making time. I'm glad. Oh, of course. Anytime. My microphone is open to you whenever you need it. And uh, I wish you safe travels and a wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas, Valerie. Christmas. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Oh, delightful. I'll talk to you again soon. Be well. Let's take a Be break. Well. Thank you. Thank- Oops, sorry. 
Oh, no one needed to hear me hang up on her. I didn't mean to hang up on her. You know what? Maybe the news was my fault. We don't know. We don't know. No one's going to know. I I have no idea. I swear I didn't touch it. Bye, Valerie. (laughs) I feel like calling her back and saying, I didn't mean to hang up on you. Let's take a break here. Hey, Steve Becker, if you're listening, uh, tell her I'm sorry. I didn't. I hit the wrong button. Uh, I'll take your calls if you want to join us. 773-763-9278. That's the number to call and join us on Driving at Home with me, Patty Vasquez, accidentally hanging up on uh, talented musicians, songwriters, and poets. Eh, That's my, all right then. To driving it home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, we're going to check in with our friend Mike Crowley, film critic Mike Crowley, and I believe we might talk to Representative Stephanie Kifwit before the end of the show to share some thoughts on the passing of Senator Scott Bennett. Um, I want to take Todd's phone call first. Hey, Todd, what's on your mind in Naperville? What's going on? Hey, Darren, how you doing? Doing all right. What's up? Yeah, I just uh, I, I I was kind of like searching around for like new jobs and stuff like that. You know, I, I've been in uh, the grocery business for many years, uh, at least since twenty two thousand ten. Okay, uh, to actually, take it two thousand nine. Yeah, the the whole thing about the unions and all that kind of stuff is just. You know, it, 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 with the this, uh, comparable ideology that Kroger is going to buy Albertsons, right? You know, and and, you know, it's, and I, I've been through. I, I used to work for Dominic's back then. You know, yeah, sure. everybody knows how that. How, everybody knows how that fell out. You know, so it's, uh, but I was kind of concerned about the, how the. Um, you know, the job market is nowadays for people that work uh, in the UFCW. Uh, Local 88, the uh, you know, union, local 88. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a very temperate situation nowadays, you know, yeah. with how, you know, you know, they're cutting back hours and, you know, business. Um, I'm not sure where Todd, Todd, I'm not sure where we're going with the I, I'm, I feel like I'm swinging from vine to vine and it's a little slippery. I'm not quite sure what we're discussing. I've got to run because I've got a guest on the line, but I'm wishing you the best. And uh, let's check in some other time and see how you're doing. All right. Take care. Thank you, Todd. Let me get to. Uh, hey, Mike, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know. what I don't, It was a lot of stuff. Hi, Mike Crowley. How's it going? Hey, hey. Going? you'll probably agree. Reviews at YPA reviews dot com. I got it this time, right? Uh, yes, you did. E- yeah. Excellent. YPA reviews. You'll probably agree. That's what it stands for. <laughs> I, I uh, wanted to touch base with you because uh, you when I reached out and said, hey, do you want to talk movies tonight? You, you've you made your list of the best movies of the year. Are they even all out yet for people to... Um, some of them are. Some of them aren't. I think The Banshees of Inisherin is still uh, in theaters. Uh, Decision to Leave, I can see where that is. Uh, they're, they're, so they're all kind of up in the air. But some are available now. Some on Netflix and some in theaters. Uh, so okay, you have so you put your list together. Do you always do just a top ten? I've seen people do like a top twenty. I've seen people do like a top ten. But here's my one A, my one B. Is it? Do you have a solid top ten that you're like? I stand behind these movies as my favorite movies of the year. Uh, it's a lot of movies to see, and I have about like thirty DVDs that have been uh, mailed to me. <laughs> so probably when oh, I wow. go through all of those, I'll know for sure what my top ten are, but. I feel pretty solid about these films. They they're uh, 
very unique and individualistic uh, on their own rights where, you know, they, they could warrant, you know, um, uh, best of the year uh, categories. Okay. All right. So uh, we're going to take a break here in a moment, and we're going to find out what your top uh, top ten are. Uh, we're going to find out your top your your second five, your your bottom five out of your top ten. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yes. Because I'm going to have you in studio next week. So if you if you can come in, do you think you can come? I can't remember how we how we left it with my texts. It's been a lot of texting today. Oh uh, yeah, I think I said that was good. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So we'll have you in studio for the whole roundup. But we'll uh, for folks or uh, can you? Let's see. How do I make this pick? Because I think that I want to make sure it's movies that people can check out, especially because it's going to be kind of a cold, wet weekend. It might be a good time for them to either watch a movie streaming or in the theaters. But we'll figure it out when we come back. You decide which ones you want to share, and uh, you know we can you can either you can either do like uh, sort of uh, every other one or just the bottom five out of your top ten. You just you decide. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sounds good. All right. And, and before we go to the break, have you seen Avatar yet? I'm seeing it Monday. Okay. So you have you yeah. you don't have uh you don't have thoughts on that yet because I'm seeing a lot of hot takes. Uh, I want to know about that next Friday. Cool. That'll be more to talk about then. I have been seeing it too amongst my colleagues and I'm like, "Wow, this is going to be an experience because that's what James Cameron does. He makes he yeah. makes cinematic thrill rides." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right. Stand by. <laughs> We're hanging out with with Mike Crowley, film critic from ypareviews.com. You'll probably agree reviews.com. So let's see if we do agree with his five out of his top 10. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. This is Kirk Bangstad from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand and Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. On January 6, 2021, followers of Trump and something called QAnon attempted a coup at the United States Capitol. Who are these people? I want to live with the QAnon girl. I could be happy the rest of my life with a QAnon girl. Believer of theory. Uh, see, the nice thing about uh, talking movies is we can take our mind off of some of these things, but I wanted to play a little bit of Steve Goody's uh, QAnon Girl uh, from his album, What I Did During the Pandemic uh, Vacation. And on the line with us to talk movies is our film critic, Mike Crowley from YPAReviews.com. All right, Mike, hit us. What's your uh, what, what list are you going to give us? All right, well, first movie for the top ten of the year is a movie that came out a long time ago. And this was back, I think, in February I saw this. And it's Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yes. Directed, yeah, directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel, oh, I'm going to butcher his name here, uh, Shinert. I probably got that wrong. Uh, but they call themselves the Daniels in the credit. But, yeah, this is a multiverse movie that puts Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness to shame. Uh, it's a film that really is about this, this woman who works in a laundromat and her family and how they struggle financially, but she's suddenly thrown in an odyssey within the multiverse where she learns the value of family and kinship, kindness, and friendship. It also features Jamie Lee Curtis, and if I don't know if you remember, uh, Key 
Hoi Kwan. Uh, he was a little boy in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Short round. Uh, term, yeah, short round, yeah. He actually plays the husband in it. And, uh, yeah, he, he's absolutely just a charm to see. It's a charming movie that uh, really does kind of tug at your heartstrings because the way it wraps up doesn't wrap up like your usual film where your character is given riches and they see the path to success that way. But rather something far more intimate and something that, uh, you know, it's a movie that I've heard people talk about long after I saw it. And when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. I don't know if it was one of the best of the year, but now that I go back and think about it and I see it stacked against everything else I've seen, I have to put it on that list, especially since how much people are talking about it. And I think um, not yet. But it should be, oh, wait, actually, as of right now, if you have a Showtime subscription with Amazon Prime, you can watch it on there. What? Yes! I've got yeah. a movie for the weekend. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, great. I know what we're watching tomorrow, honey. I'm not you. I'm not calling you, honey. I'm, my husband listens to the show. Sorry. <laughs> you're you're, you're yeah. a honey. Yours not my honey, Mike. Go ahead. <laughs> well, okay, so then next up on the list is The Fableman, uh, Steven Spielberg's movie about his life. And if there's ever a director who has earned the spot to talk about their life cinematically, it's Steven Spielberg. The man is arguably a legend, and The Fablemans really cements why he's one of the rare filmmakers that will ever exist. Because The Fablemans, although it's about his story, there's an honesty to its sentimentality that you will not find with other directors. People usually criticize Spielberg for being too sentimental, except the thing is there's an earnesty in that, in his characters and the complexity of his characters, especially the mother who's played wonderfully. If I, and I'm sure she will probably be nominated for an Oscar. Michelle Williams, who plays uh, Spielberg's a really uh, Miss Fableman, we'll call them in the, in the movie, plays the mother. And she has some, let's just say, personal issues that, make things very, very, very complicated for our protagonist. Uh, see, I've, I've been reading some reviews about this. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm compelled by this story to see it, but I definitely want to see the first one. Fableman is a, I'm, I'm curious, but I don't know if I'm eager. How's that? Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a movie there that I think fans of Spielberg will love and fans of cinema will love. But like a casual moviegoer, I think you'll be interested, you'll feel moved, but will it be like enticing, you know, and, and something that will really grab at your heartstrings? I don't know. I can't speak on behalf of them because I'm just such a Spielberg fanboy right. that, of course, is going to wind up on my list. Fair disclosure. We appreciate it. All right. So we've got so far for Mike Crowley's uh, the five out of his top ten movies, we've got everything everywhere all at once. Right? The Fableman. The Fableman. And, and what's number three? Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Okay. Not the, not the crappy Disney version that was released this year with CGI that looked absolutely god-awful, but the stop-motion animation version. So if you think of The Nightmare Before Christmas, it's done in that style. But this movie, unlike Nightmare Before Christmas, which was only like an hour and 15 minutes, this is a straight two hours and it is a darker take on Pinocchio that I never thought I wanted to see. There are Nazis in it. There's Mussolini in it. It's kind of bizarre, but it works surprisingly well because at the end of the day, 
Pinocchio, uh, it's, uh, there's more dimensionality uh, put towards Geppetto, because usually he's just a nice old man who bring, who builds an old puppet and goes about his day. Oh, what a great guy. Here, Geppetto's a lot more complicated. Why he makes Pinocchio is much more upfront rather than implicated in the other movies. And it's really just a, a touching film. I, when I saw it, I, I was shocked how good it was, just because the animation style alone mixed with the story that truly came from Del Toro's heart resonates uh, wonderfully on screen. So would you say people need to leave behind the this sort of uh, lifelong uh, imagination, what we imagine from Disney and, and other incarnations of Pinocchio and just see this with a fresh look, right? Yeah, yeah, because it is very, very different than the uh, other versions. You know, I guess it has all the elements from the story we know. You know, he still goes to the circus. He still has the whole thing where he falls in the whale's mouth and they got to get out of there. But how they get to those points, what happens to Pinocchio, and how it ties together to World War II and Mussolini is something that's a very unique, very different take on a classic tale that you know we're, we're used to seeing being told a certain way from Disney throughout the years. I, I, I'm so excited to see this one. Uh, that one, I think, is now available streaming, if I'm not mistaken. I think it starts tonight. Yeah. Yes. Today. Today. December 9th on Netflix. Hey. It's, um, it's streaming on there. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I, I saw it in the theater. But, yeah. Hmm? Uh, well, it's like all the streaming services want us to be to hunker down with a big uh, bowl of soup and uh, just watch movies for the rest of the winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, I do question now, like these days, like I like seeing movies in the theater, but I have to say, sometimes seeing them at home is almost better. Like, I actually saw Babylon uh, this week, which is actually on my list, but that's for next week. But <laughs> but uh, what I saw there, uh, I, there was, like, this guy who was sitting next to me. He was just, like, coughing heavily the whole time, and I was just, like, gripping my mask every time he was. And I'm like, oh. boy, I could enjoy this much more at home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, it's funny because uh, I, Griffin was actually, because of, uh, you know, our situation at home, we didn't take Griffin to the, his first uh, film in the movie theaters was the Muppet movie, the one where they go to Russia with mm-hmm. Tina Fey. And, yeah, yeah uh, I just I remember that. I, it, it's kind of nice to know exactly the first movie that we took him to. But because he loved watching the movies at home on our on, and by the way, we didn't even have a big flat screen television. We had a deep tube, thirty two inch TV. But now, oh, wow, I know, we've improved things since then. All right, so we've got uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, everything everywhere all at once. We've got Fableman's Pinocchio. What's number four? Uh, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Story. Oh, that's and right. Yep, yeah, yeah. And I actually liked it better than the first one. Some people like the first one a little more. And, I mean, to their point, yeah, the first one has more of a memorable cast. But Glass Onion has more of a, uh, let's, uh, let's just say a zeitgeist to it, where they actually tie COVID directly into the story and into the plot through Edward Norton's character, who... He sends this invitation out to a group of people, and he says to them, all right, for all my disruptors out there, I want you to solve the mystery of my murder. And, you know, it's supposed to be this fun little game that he sets up where, you know, people are going to find out who killed him. But it turns out, it turns out to be more than just a game. 
which is was not in Edward Norton's cards. And it's up to uh, Detective LeBlanc, who is played by Daniel Craig, who must be absolutely thrilled to finally no longer be James Bond. Uh, <laughs> right. to play this, yeah, uh, to play this, this uh, to play the character. And, you know, he has this hilarious sort of foghorn, leghorn, Kentucky accent that he puts on. And, I mean, Craig is just amazing, as always, in that movie. He's just fun to watch. You can tell he's just having a fun time doing it. And the movie is loaded with a lot of those kind of fourth-wall-breaking jokes Brian Johnson likes to put in his movies, where he's very conscious about the uh, category that he is uh, dramatizing in his work. But, yeah, if you see, uh, but with Glass Onion, the movie's like almost two and a half hours. It doesn't wow. feel like it's two and a half hours. It feels like it's maybe two hours. It's fun the whole way through because every scene connects to another one, and a lot of the story is told out of order. But because it's told out of order, each little puzzle piece fits in extremely well. It's one of the funniest movies I've seen and definitely one of the most uh, engaging, fun whodunits I've seen in a while. There's even a fun little joke in there about Clue. Uh, nice. Clearly, these movies are based on it, yeah, where uh, Daniel Craig's going, I, I don't like Clue. There's nothing right about it. It's just an appalling game, <laughs> which Debbie just, you know, in stitches all the time. Too funny. Uh, <laughs> all right. So what's our final movie before we go and uh, tease everybody for our in-studio conversation about your top 10 next week? What's, uh, what's the final movie uh-huh. on your list? Uh, this one, I, it was between two of them, uh, and I ended up picking the other one off the list. And to be honest, I'm kind of glad I did because I already forgot what it was when I took it off. So obviously it wasn't one of my top ten. But uh, it is Tar, starring Kate Blanchett in what might finally give her her Oscar. She plays a well-known com- composer named Lydia Tar, and it's basically about Lydia Tar's toxic personality and her striving for power and notoriety that causes her to mistreat others around her and also how it causes her sanity to slowly slip away throughout the picture. But it's not like a really intense movie going in. It's It's a very slow burn that leads to an explosive finale. And if anything, it is absolutely worth seeing it, obviously for the score, but also for Kate Blanchett's just absolutely just immense performance. And I think Kate Blanchett, frankly, is one of the best actors living today. Like her and Christian Bale are two of the best actors working now. I love her. I really, really do. Well, thank you so much for uh, for giving us uh, some movies, especially ones that we can see uh, uh, streaming or go to the theaters. Because this one, this one is Tar is running at a few theaters in the Chicagoland area, including the AMC New City and Landmark uh, Landmarks Renaissance Place in Highland Park. So just a couple places for those in the Chicagoland area. And we've been talking to Mike Crowley, film critic, YPA Reviews. You'll probably agree. Reviews. You can go to ypareviews.com and he'll be in studio next week uh, unless something changes. But just let me know, Mike. It was great talking to you. (laughs) It was wonderful talking to you as always. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Have a great weekend and take care. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's take a quick break here. We are checking with our, our friend, Representative Stephanie Kifowit. I uh, wanted to talk to her about uh, Senator Scott Bennett, who sadly passed away today. And uh, I wanted to share some of her thoughts uh, about his work and um, and offer our condolences to his family, friends, and colleagues. More in a moment on Driving at Home. 
You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Hey, everyone. I wanted to uh, talk to Representative Stephanie Kifwit, and I know that you're busy, Rep, but I, I, I'm grateful that you could join us and uh, share some of your thoughts about State Senator Scott Bennett, who sadly passed away today. He was only 45 years old, has, has was a father of young children, uh, and this was unexpected. Uh, how, how, what are you, what, when you heard about this, Rep, um, what, what, what were some of the first moments that, uh, of the work that you did together that came to mind? Well, I think uh, what, what came to mind is is during veto session, I had walked over to the Senate chambers and I was just, you know, talking to him and, and um, you know, sharing stories about Thanksgiving and, you know, just he's, he's just a wonderful human being. I mean, just a wonderful person. And so that's what I recalled was kind of my last interaction with him. And I know several of my colleagues are recalling, you know, when they last interacted with him and bills that they worked with him on and just how all the time he was just kind and and just wonderful to be around and he came to uh, the the chamber in, to the senate in 2015 uh and he had been um he was i didn't realize that he was the treasurer of illinois oh no i'm sorry uh, he took over for for mike frerick he right. took over for mike frerick. in the senate right mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. So Frerichs gets elected and Bennett takes over the seat and he had been in that seat since then. Uh, And I know that a lot of the work that he did, uh, my boss, uh, Controller Susanna Mendoza, was talking about how the last conversation they'd had was um, advocacy for people with autism, uh, whether in the workplace or in communities and things like that. And that was a passion project of his uh, as well, wasn't it? As far as elevating the work that uh, families like mine go through. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I mean, his passion project was people anywhere and everywhere. And he can help people such as your family or other families. He was a hundred percent right there. I mean, even animals. I mean, he just had an, an enormous heart for, for the job that he did in the people of Illinois. Yeah, and this is this is such a sudden because, uh, from what I understand, he was hospitalized yesterday and passed away in Champaign. Uh, he'd grown up in uh, Gibson City and represented the areas of uh, Champaign County and Vermilion County. Uh, and this is it's heartbreaking. You know, when we when you lose somebody so suddenly, it does make you reflect on on why you guys are there uh, and the devotion that you have to your constitu- constituents because it does take you away from your families too. And he seemed like such a great family man. Didn't oh, it, yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand how much time and effort goes into being an elected representative, whether in the House or in the Senate. I mean, we just saw uh, Senator Berkman uh, is resigning because he wants to spend more time with his kids and more time with his family, because it does take a lot of a lot of time um, away from our loved ones. And when you love the job that you do, such as, as Scott Bennett, love the job that he did, um, you know, it makes it all that that worth it, worth it, because you're helping people and you're being there for people and um, and you're making people's lives a little bit better. And so that makes it worth it to sacrifice precious family time um, for the people of Illinois. 
That's what I, I was uh, talking to the audience about earlier, is that we forget that the people that are elected, whether you voted for them or not, are are in Springfield or, or whatever office they hold, wherever they hold it, uh, go there with the best of intentions for for their uh, from their perspective, from their, uh, you know, from whatever drove them to run for office. And we forget that a little bit in a shocking uh, death like this. I hope will remind people to to take stock of not only their own families and lives, but also, again, like you said, the sacrifices that uh, our legislators uh, have to make. Because there's so much cynicism when it comes to your job, isn't there? Well, I, I, I think it's easy for people to be negative at uh, those that hold office. Um, if things don't quite go a vote their way. And, but at the end of the day, we have to represent the state as a whole. In addition to our constituents and where one person might be upset, they should think that, you know, maybe 10 people wanted that rep to vote the other way, one to 10 ratio, or because we do gauge sentiment in our offices. And, you know, just like people don't get upset when the Cubs lose, they come back the next year or when the Sox lose or the Bears. I'm not even going there with the Bears, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they roll with it. And, and it just seems like when there's a vote that people don't like, they, they internalize it and then it manifests itself in the negativity and hate and ugliness that just really isn't warranted, such as we saw with the Safety Act and the misinformation campaign. And, um, you know, the lies and the vitriol that came from that bill that we ultimately made a better bill, made a cleaner bill, made it made it stronger. And, um, you know, that was the intention all along. So I think people sometimes need to step back and say, you know, and have a conversation instead of just uh, really internalizing and being ugly. I agree. I mean, and again, from my exchanges with Senator Bennett, he was always uh, really uh, committed to doing a good job and working for people and uh, and, and was, you know, was a, a patient legislator. It, you know, not, not a lot of uh, folks in Springfield have patience, do they? I mean, actually, I think a lot do. There's a few that don't. OK, maybe that's what it is. A lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us, we do have patience and, and we do try very, very hard uh, to meet the needs of the people that we represent, like um, like Scott Bennett, who, who I actually serve with Tom Bennett, who I believe is his uncle. Okay. Uh, and and so the family is just warm, loving, thoughtful, patient people. And I think a lot of representatives are patients, you know, as, as much to their humanly ability to be um, with people in, in very stressful situations and, um, you know, when they're they're working really hard. I have one resident that's trying to get dental care who's who doesn't make a lot of money. So we, we try to work with people a lot in our in our offices and in our capacity. And God did that, you know, always with a smile and always with a, a firm handshake and, and a funny, funny comments. And, you know, it just uh, radiates from them, being in contact with them and knowing them. And, and one of the statements uh, from from uh, Controller Mendoza was that not only was he one of the kindest legislators, but perhaps one of the most effective. May his family find peace as they grieve this tremendous loss. And uh, it really is. I mean, and it's like, oh, my heart at Christmas time. You know, it's uh, never easy. And uh, this will be so hard for his kids. I believe they were very young, like nine years old, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was only 45 years old. And, and I want to thank you, Representative, for, again, we've been talking to Representative Stephanie Kifowit, uh to remember Senator Scott Bennett. Uh, I know that you're traveling, and I'm grateful that you were able to jump on. And I, I hope that I get to see you during this holiday season. Oh, definitely. And, um, you know, just 
keep in mind, uh, we just wrapped up, uh, delivered all our toys for Toys for Tots. And keep in mind that, you know, holidays are very uh, stressful for people. Uh, obviously, the, we will keep the Bennett family in our mind while they go through this stressful time um, and, and this, uh, this, this loss. And, um, you know, it, it's just without words, the, the statement that was released is that he had a, a tumor. Oh. I guess they didn't know about oh. I mean, the, the the statement from the, the family that was released. I don't know if you saw this, Patty, or not. Um, but uh, the statement that was released by the family said that uh, he passed away from complications of a large brain tumor. Oh, that's so sad. And, um, you know, it's so sad. We had initially uh, heard some speculation that he had a stroke, and then, then the family released that statement. And, and, and so that's even... You know, during this holiday time, we just got to keep the family and their thoughts and prayers um, while they run through it. And, and, you know, there are families that are grieving. Our Gold Star families are grieving. There's, there's uh, folks who the holiday season is really difficult on, and we have to keep all those individuals in our in our thoughts and prayers and open our hearts to them if we know of anybody in our uh, in our circle. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Representative. Be well and uh, safe safe uh, adventures ahead of you. And I'll, I'll, I wish you a Merry Christmas. I hope we get to see you before then. Have a great night, my friend. Yes, you too. And and uh, take care. And, uh, and I wish everybody um, a very uh, enjoyable holiday season that we come across. Thank you so much. Take care. I've got to run. Uh, Mike Crutes up next with Devil's Advocate. Uh, I'm out of here. Good night, everybody. Be well.